Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along Show. Hello, and welcome to episode 116. Tonight's show is brought to you by Microphone Inside Your Face. That's right, Microphone Inside Your Face. Uh, I'm going to do patrons as quickly as I can. So we're going to start at $10 a month. We've got Zach, Will, Trailbuilders are off and thirsty. Please bring them beer. Tom P., Todd, Ty, Tennessee Zach, Taperboard Pro, Smells Like Sweat and Fear, SCG Shuko, Sam Pecklin Racing, <gasps> Sam Cran, Ryan, Ralph, Parker, Noah, Nick. Ralph Wiggum. Oh, Ralph Wiggum. That's a, from The Simpsons. <laughs> I'm in danger. Parker, Noah, Nick, My Pal Dow, MTV Shenanigans, Lloyd Christmas. Leland, Kenny sucks. Ken, Josh, Josh, Josephine, Quixotic, Jeff, JC, Jaradex, Jake, Green Giant, Gordon, G Man, F That Guy, Mark, Ezra, Trilla, G, Evan, Eric, Drew, Peebles, Captain Fickle, Cam, Irish One, Billy Singlespeed, Bill, Bo, Baggins, Alec, AJ, Aaron. We got Esker Cycles at 1169, Lead Out Sports at 14, Josh at 14. They're both kangaroo ears per month. Dean's bringing 16 and a half, and the half is somehow oddly more unsettling then at $20 a month we got Scott Poop Ranch Joe Brady Anthony Affordable Trail Solutions Harley at 30 Troy Influence for Bad Decisions at 31 Brad Jade at 32 and then Six Back Outdoors at 50 and it hasn't shown up on our patron list yet but I did get a message today that Zap Brannigan has moved up from $3 to $10 god damn I'll go first since I have no bicycle news to share uh, we recorded on Saturday and now it's Thursday. I don't know. Time doesn't mean anything anymore. I haven't ridden my bike. I suck. Uh, but with that, I did go out and, uh, we recorded on Saturday. We talked about maybe doing some sketchy stuff with towing vehicles on Sunday and I did it and it worked out fine. Nothing bad happened. I used Andrea's Nissan or Toyota 4Runner to tow a 2000 <laughs> Land Rover Discovery 2 from Copper Gulch to Colorado Springs. Got that unloaded into Troy's uh, storage unit because Andrea has a strict no non-running vehicles at home rule and I can't break it. So it's at Troy's storage unit. We pulled a bunch of stuff off, threw a bunch of stuff in the dumpster and all in all are moving forward on, I don't know, eventually making that truck run. So that happened mostly all day on Sunday. I don't really remember Monday. But on Tuesday, I oh, I've been doing a bunch of house stuff. And then on Tuesday evening, I cut the tip of my finger off with a kitchen mandolin, like the slicer thing. So I don't have to wash dishes until that <laughs> heals. I think you did it on purpose. It was definitely not on purpose. She heard me scream the word fuck while she was in the shower. The thing with Matt, if he yells fuck really loud while he's cooking... It could be something as simple as, like, he dropped a piece of food and a dog ate it. Or he could have cut his entire finger off with a butcher knife. You don't know. Or maybe you just have that, like, first bite of meat rice that you made, and you're just so <laughs> excited and pumped with yourself. I think that Andrea knew from the shower this wasn't a meat rice ecstasy orgasmic fuck. But the bad thing is I'm slicing beets, so Andrea gets out of the shower, and there's just red everywhere. <laughs> but I can still count to 9 and 31, 30 seconds, so don't fear. The Tennessee math system hasn't let me down yet, Tennessee educational system, whatever. And that's really all I got for this week. Uh, next week, 
I'm going to maybe ride my bike some, maybe not. We'll see what the weather does. I'm I'm working tomorrow, and then I don't work for you know the full week, so nine days off, including both weekends. I'm gonna try to do some deer hunting. Gonna try to get that knocked out on opening morning because you know why not? That'd be amazing. And then yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But we'll record next week like normal. Hopefully things are going well. Oh, and Tom P, all-time listener, great buddy dropped off some hot sauces with us and they were pretty tasty so that's my week since we recorded last which wasn't quite a week what you got Andrea so I have things that I forgot last week basically is all I'm going to talk about because I have been working been digging Uh, for anyone who lives in an area with aspen trees or cottonwood trees just know you should not make your garden anywhere near those trees like you need to be way far away from them how many miles i mean i'd give it i would get as far on as far away as your property allows because what happens is you cultivate nice soil you encourage earthworms to move in you water you do all these things so you can grow plants and aspens and cottonwoods uh, grow in very similar fashions they send out a root And when that root is like, oh, this is a nice spot, it starts sprouting new trees and new roots. And I mean, I can't curse them too much because a good part of my, I'd say half of my income hours come from digging up the roots. Because if you just yank the tree off of the root, it grows right back in the same spot. So you kind of have to dig down and dig the whole fucking root out. And I'd say, yeah, like half of my work hours are probably digging aspen and or cottonwood roots out of places where the people who own the property um, don't want them. So that's just my little PSA for everyone. So that's what I've been doing the last week. I have been helping Matt scout for deer. I have been scouting for bear. And then the stuff I forgot to talk about last week. Remember I said I'll think about it later and that's exactly what I did. Uh, When I was bear hunting week before last, I lost a GoPro. And if you remember that Britney Spears song way back in the day that Kenny and I used to listen to it outdoors on Pandora, Oops, I Did It Again. If you jump in your Wayback Machine um, and go a little forward from that Britney Spears song, you'll remember a few years ago when I was turkey hunting, I also lost a GoPro. Well, I lost it out of the same pocket of the same pack in the same fucking spot. Like the same general area. I looked around for an hour. I'm pretty sure I would have just as much of a chance of finding the old GoPro as I would the new one. And I didn't find it. (sighs) Please buy some water bottles or some shit. (laughs) So yes, the JRA um, funds bought another GoPro. The third one? Well, yeah, the third one. <laughs> well, I had well, I had one before that was a personal one, and it was the little mini one without any sort of image stabilization, and that was pretty useless for doing anything where you were moving because you just get seasick watching it. So we bought, you know, when we started back up with JRA Outdoor Media, we bought a GoPro. Then I lost it, and now we're buying another one. So if you know me... Um, I have to fuck something up really bad twice 
the same way before I realize I shouldn't be doing that. So I will no longer be putting a GoPro in that pocket of my my pack. It will either be in my hand or zipped up in the pack. So learn that lesson the hard way. Quick shout out to Arden Creek Winery. So a nice man named Chad came in while I was working in Leadville at the Leadvelo BC Casa and I worked on his bike and he owns a winery and he sent two bottles of wine our way and we just opened one of them tonight a nice white wine I don't remember what type because I'm not I don't know I like wine flavored wine and oh Matt's gonna go look at the bottle the lace curtain white it's really good and yeah, we I used a little bit to cook with tonight, and then Matt and I drank the rest of the bottle, and it was wonderful. So, thanks, Chad. Yep, we drank the rest of it. <laughs> Thank you, Chad, for the bottles of wine, and I can't wait to try the other one. And then, last thing. Oh, hold on. Quick interjection. This is recorded as close to the 11-year debut of JRA. Nice. So, happy 11th birthday to us. And then last thing, uh, I was looking for a, what? Matt just snorted and I don't know why. I was looking for a large volume lumbar pack, something bigger than a fanny pack. Make all of our listeners outside of the U.S. giggle by saying that. Uh, I wanted a large volume pack because basically when I go out hunting, I want to sling my rifle over my head and shoulder, like diagonally with the sling. And... I couldn't do that with the regular pack because it would kind of bang around on the back of the pack and it was really awkward to carry. So I wanted something that sat way lower. In looking for that, I realized that the company Wingnut is still around and making packs. And a long time ago back in, I don't know, it was uh, right after I started, right after I started mountain bike racing, I wanted... No, yeah. Wingnut went away. They had to, it's, it's, like, it's still here. No, they were gone for a while. Okay, well, they're back. So I learned that they are still, they are back in business, still in business, whatever it is, um, and still making packs. And they they still look cool. The one that I had, um, they've changed that model up a little bit, I think. Um, it always kind of looked like a cock and balls. And so I, I liked it. I don't remember what happened to it. I have... Oh, what happened to it? The zipper broke and they were out of business, so you couldn't get it fixed. Oh. Okay. So that's what happened to it. I thought I just lost it moving and doing different mountain bike races. Maybe I, like, sold it or something. So, anyway. Yeah, so I looked at those. I ended up, I didn't get one. Um, I found something else that was a little more readily available. It looks like with their page, you have to kind of, like, order stuff. And I'm sure it's... It's really nice. I mean, they look like well-made packs. I liked mine. And uh, so, yeah, if you're looking for a large pack that sits lower on your back and takes weight off your shoulders, uh, I'd check that out. If you want something, you know, a little more custom than what's available, just mass market. But that's kind of all I got. Kenny, what you been up to? Let's see. I did a morning mountain bike ride earlier this week, kind of the last one probably of the season. It just got cold and rainy today. Uh, that's about it as far as biking stuff goes. I plan on going to St. George this weekend, I think. Maybe do a little bit of moto and bicycle stuff. So that should be fun. Yeah, I think that's that's it for me. Wow. We got 
lots of time to talk about new shit and do some listener questions. Which one do we want to do first? I want to shit on those uh, Princeton Works mountain bike wheels. Okay. The P1 Singularis is Tom Paycock's race wheel, now available to you. Cry me a river. I'm not impressed. I have to read about them before I... uh... Usually when Kenny's talking, I read about these things. (laughs) (laughs) But... They're they're too deep and they're too heavy. They cost a lot of money, and you could just buy bird wheels. So which which ones are these again? The the new Princeton Tech mountain bike wheels. So they got the wee woo wee woo humpback whale. Yeah, I know they got the wee woo, but which do you know what model it is? Well, they make two models and they're both too heavy. Is it they the Alta? The... the is it the Alta with like the longer wee woo, or is it? Uh... No, this one doesn't look that that severe uh the rim bed is intact so you don't need rim tape to set up tubeless tires maybe it's not on their website yet no no definitely not um uh, okay i'm on their website i was looking at some looking at some stuff they're like they're full uh they're full dish wheel whatever you want to call that oh is it full dish but then they cover up the thingy or is I that front know. is that front and rear that must be it okay because there's no way they would make the front that looks like a weird airplane prop that was like put underwater for 50 years and then rediscovered and then cover it up like they would surely leave that open and that is that is the case looks like a like a whale fin or something yeah i mean the the mountain bike wheels of are like you know the tamed down version of that but they're just way too heavy when you when you get them with i9 hubs the 30 mil internal weighs 1530 grams i get it you can get 1360 gram with their house brand hubs but just buy fucking bird wheels. I'm sure they're cheaper, and they have good hubs in them, and they're as light or lighter. I'm I'm not impressed. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you have there are there are enough options out there now where you can run. I won't go so far as to say a real hub, no, but say it. <laughs> you say can it with your chest. you can run my favorite hub, the Industry Nine Hydra. And it still come in for a thirty mil internal, you know, fourteen hundred grams, and that's not um, it's not what you get with these. So, yeah. Also, they only drill the hub side of the rim. So if you break a spoke and need to, re- or break a nipple and need to replace it, you have to thread the nipple in from the spoke or the the valve hole to the nipple hole, and then pull the nipple out and then thread it onto the spoke. So not only are they really heavy. But they're a giant pain in the ass. Yeah, there you go. So Matt is not impressed by those. I'm not really. I mean, if you're going to build something. So, like, I'm sure bird spokes, not as easy to lace up as a normal steel spoke. I think we can all agree with that. That's not either. I know. That's what I'm saying. But you get something from using bird spokes. You get a really fucking light wheel. These have a harder to deal with design for the same weight or more as a comparable wheel from lots of other places. If this was smash or pass, hard pass. Actually, flaccid pass. <laughs> oh, do we want to keep uh, sucking some bird dick? Glop, glop, you betcha. The bird sparrow is a 1,065 gram carbon wheel for gravel use. They're 25 internal, 28 hole, and they're lighter than a motherfucker. Rated for bike packing. I mean, they have a 250 pound weight limit. So if you can bike pack with your rider 
and bike and gear under 250 pounds, then sure. I mean, every wheel is rated for bikepacking if you stay under the recommended weight limit. So that's a little bit of a miss, but scroll back up. Did that say it's hooked? Uh, semi-hooked. So we've, we, we're, we're kind of hooked, and you can run 70 PSI and 28-millimeter tires. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm sure you can get them with uh, I-9 hubs that are a little bit heavier, but still barely over 1,000 grams and good. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I'd say for gravel, it probably, gravel and road, I don't feel like the hub is quite as important as long as it is durable. But for mountain biking, the engagement is really what I'm after. I just can't have that pop pop when I'm pedaling. Kenny, do you have any thoughts on gravel wheels that light? That seems that seems pretty light. I know you can obviously save a lot of weight with the spokes, but being 28 hole, they've basically got to do all that weight savings in the hoop. So I'm a little scared. That's that's Don't like really light. Don't be scared. I'm Dude, scared. You're running control SLs on a fucking Canevo. Don't Seriously. be scared. <laughs> <laughs> those are fine. Don't worry about those little guys. Uh, I had wheel thoughts. I'm going to finally get into the shop a set of Traverse 2 HDs. So I will report on build quality and all the things and that new special valve that you like thread in mm. that does weird valve thingies. So we'll see. I'm sure they're going to be cool. So I should have those maybe next week. I can't wait. Yep. Are you going to put them on one of your bikes or your No, I just bike? I just ordered I just ordered a set to take a look at them and I've got a customer who may be buying them. So I will report back. I have not seen any Traverse 2s, either the 240 version, because I don't think they're called Control... Sorry, I don't think they're called Traverse SL. I think they're just Traverse 2s. And they make an HD version and a non-HD version with supposedly just a different layup. And then you can get them in either a DT350 hub version or a DT240 hub version. I think that's My the lay of the land. Double. I know. Do we want to talk about this new YT? It looks like a Cannondale habit. Like but it's pretty it, affordable. It, it is a Cannondale habit. But it's pretty affordable. I mean, 5500 bucks with X01 and nice suspension and okay wheels. That's a killer deal in 2023 and beyond. Yeah, it's got it's got beep boops on it, but it's not transmission beep boops on a new bike. Doesn't that seem weird to you? No. It sounds like they got a really good deal from SRAM on a bunch of old beep boops and put it on there. Okay, that's fine. Beep boops that aren't transmission are still better than SLX. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, SX is better than SLX. <laughs> and it's got a it's got a Heidi hole. I love yeah. putting stuff in Heidi holes. So, I'm looking at pictures. I guess I was confused because there's an alloy one and ah, a carbon one. That? That's for poor people. How many dollars? You're saying $5,500 for a carbon a carbon bike, and that's what you're excited about? Yeah, I mean, the comparable Or no, bike. hang on. Oh, no, that's that's CF. Oh, here we go. Stepping up to the carbon frame at 4,300. Huh? What? Yeah, 4,300 gets you GX beat boops. Oh, that's a good deal then. Well, what's the $5,500 one you were talking about? Uh, Sorry, $5,500 gets you GX axis transmission with a super deluxe and a lyric ultimate. Okay. I was that's, looking at the... I was looking at the three. Sorry. The, th the three is old B-boops, but carbon. They have a four carbon, and then they've got a five. That The five is definitely XO transmission. The four is GX transmission. Okay, this is a little bit more 
reasonable Sorry, I was, then. I was off on my beep boop uh, recognition, but yeah, fifty five hundred dollars gets you GX transmission. Fifty sixty five hundred dollars gets you. Uh, Andrea changed the page. Sixty five hundred dollars gets you factory suspension, XO beep boop transmission, and code RSC brakes. It's, it's fucking good. sick. It's good value for sure. I thought YT was going out of business. No, that's nuke proof. And gorilla well, Yeah, yeah. But I thought YT was having a hard time. Like they they like turned off all their phone lines and like nobody worked there anymore and like you couldn't get any warranty stuff for like a couple years. Nah, I mean, when you pay that much for a bike, you can't expect them to answer the phone immediately. I mean, yeah. honestly, have you ever tried calling Canyon Cycles? Like they don't answer the phone either. Pretty wild. So I have a question. This is not really so much bike related, but more young people related. Younger people, like 20 years old and younger, they're like actually scared to talk on the telephone, right? Yeah. Or some 40-something-year-olds. Like, <laughs> like, for real. Because isn't it like, because you, you're on the spot, you can't just like sit there and think about your response. You have to have like a, you have to articulate your thoughts on the spot. And that's like really scary for a lot of people. I mean, it's difficult for me because of my neurodivergence. But that's a, that's something diagnosed by a doctor. I like talking with people either on the phone or like in real life. I will articulate the shit out of some shit. <laughs> you know, I'm all right with it if it's something that I am knowledgeable in, but if it's something that I need to actually think about, um, I, I do I do way better with typing or writing or, you know, whatever. Something where I can, like, think in between sentences and go back and reread it and make sure I didn't say anything dumb. Uh, I'm on the phone. My phone's on 40 hours a week. I just lean into it. If I say something stupid, I just apologize. I'm all about it. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. So yeah, if any bike company out there is like, wow, I wish we had more people to answer the phone, hit me up, Matt at Just Riding Along Show or Just Riding Along Podcast. Just Riding Along Show. Just Riding Along Show. <laughs> com. I can never remember. I got really drunk when I made that that URL and or that domain, and it just just never stuck in my brain. So. Yeah, anyways, uh, yeah, if you want people to answer the phone and be professional and not be a total dickhead like I am on the show, uh, reach out. I'll answer the phone with, hi, thanks for calling, insert company name here. This is Matt. How can I help you today? I'd be happy to do that. Andrea hears me do that like all week. It's sickening. Is it really? So here's what gets me is Matt can go from like being mad and flustered enough that he might like throw things and yell about it. And then his phone rings and he's like, hi, this is Matt. How can I help you today? And and have like a totally normal conversation with a, like in the customer service voice, which is just baby talk for boomers. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's awesome. <laughs> Have you never heard that? I didn't make that. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> Shut her down. <laughs> And he can have, have a have whole you... conversation in baby talk for boomer's voice <laughs> and then hang up the phone and go straight back to just like rage doing whatever he's doing. You know what that's straight out of? Have either of you seen Wolf of Wall Street yet? No. Okay. Well, it's your homework to watch that because there's a scene and the the dude's father who was like helping him do accounting stuff and was like, you know, playing defense while he was out there just doing rowdy ass shit. He was like trying to, he was like on the phone with his son 
yelling at him for doing some stupid ass shit, like spending a whole bunch of money on hookers or something (laughs) and was like yelling at him on the phone. And then I think maybe like his other phone rings or something. And he just like completely changes tone. It's like, hello. And (laughs) has like the conversation hangs up and then just goes straight back into yelling. And it is super, super fitting for Matt. Yeah, that's exactly what Matt is very capable of doing that. No matter (laughs) what is going on, he can he can switch he can just flip the switch and go straight into cus- like the best customer service employee you've ever had. On my team, I have one of the lowest declined call percentages of the team. Yeah. So, on that note, it still is important in my opinion. I am really old now, but it is my opinion that you just if you're going to have a decent sized company, you got to at least have someone that answers the phone, like one person, like at least give it a try. <laughs> It's pretty, (laughs) it's pretty important. I just, I'm just so tired of calling bike companies and it's like, you know, three o'clock on a Friday. So they're fucking gone. Like that's a whole nother rant. It's just the level to which bike companies, the level to which bike companies don't want to fucking work. Nobody wants to be in an office. Everyone wants to go like la-di-da shit. It's like, motherfucker, I am running a goddamn bike shop here and I have a question for you during business hours. You better pick up the fucking phone. (laughs) Good luck. I don't. I don't care that you're on a lunch <laughs> ride. Um, anyway, all the the stuff that we do in the cycling industry, just the unprofessional stuff we do, a lot of times is just infuriating. And that also leads me into what it was. Some ad I saw recently, and it, you know, maybe it wasn't even cycling. I think it was outdoor industry, which is like kind of just as guilty. And it was just some. I don't remember what. It, just some like the. The ad picture was just some sloppy looking person on there. And they're like trying to say something pro and just had like the worst picture with the person that just looked like they had the worst attitude. Anyway, it was just ridiculous. So cycling industry, you need to be in your damn office and you need to do business during business hours. So anyway. Yeah. I could it's go everybody. on rant. I could we go have on reps. rants about a... Like the hunting industry, I think, is where the cycling industry was like 10 years ago as far as lots of stuff from, I don't know, equality and advertising to customer service. I mean, I I had a pair of, I've had, okay, in the past, well, September, I guess, or I guess you could say back in the spring, I got a pair of boots from this company called Crispy, and they are well known for their very, um, very durable boots they yeah i heard you know one of their guys talking on a podcast about how you know they make all this awesome shit sounds really cool got a pair back in april by the beginning of elk season in september the stitching was coming loose on the rubber rand and i sent them an email to their warranty thing took the pictures sent the proof of purchase all this stuff they're like sure you know we can repair those under warranty um, but you'll need to ship them to us. It's like, your fucking boots have broken. It's not my job to pay for anything to have these fixed. But I did end up contacting Shields where I bought the boots. And again, good customer service with Shields. Um, they were like, here's a shipping label and you can get a new pair. Um, I got another pair of boots and the uh, I think I talked about it. The rubber rand started, these were not stitched, they were glued. And the rubber rand started to come apart where it was glued onto the boot. And I contacted them and I'm like, they're like, yeah, you'll have to ship them to us. I'm like, I've had these for, they've been out for like four or five days of hunting. 
could you please send me a shipping label? Luckily, they did. It was Kinetrek. And they sent me a shipping label, but then they're like, okay, it'll be three to four weeks. First, they got there on a Monday, and they contacted me on Friday. Hell yeah. And said, you'll need to, uh, it'll be three to four weeks before we will have these repaired, or you can pay us $40 and we'll have them to you within two weeks. So I ended up paying the $40 so I could get my fucking boots back. So that fucking sucks. That really fucking sucks. They literally were... I was five days into hunting before these things failed uh, or started to fail. I ended up wearing them the rest of the season because I just had to have them and they were still usable. But yeah, that was that was what they did. They glued the rand back down and they put some kind of like a some kind of a rubberized sealant around the edge of them, I guess, to keep water from getting in there. But yeah, I got to take a quick break and flip my bread around. You turn my timer off. Oh, did I turn a timer off that you needed? Yeah. Well, Andrea had been cooking roast all day, and then we started recording, and the the we record at, like, the island here between the kitchen and the living room, and the timer just said some random number that wasn't the time of day, and I was like, well, she's done cooking, and my drunk ass turned the timer off, and apparently that was for bread, so thanks to Ranch Fairy for coming by, because Andrea's making bread. She doesn't make bread for me. Yeah, yeah, she claimed she was going to make it anyways, but... She's not. If you really want to get Andrea pissed off on like a Kenny style rant, talk about women's clothing available for hunting. She's she's muttering from the kitchen. I know you can't hear, but she just forcibly put that bread down and she's like, Oh, I got something else and she's trying to wash her hands and come back over here and she's starting a timer that will probably go off during this show. But oh, it's a thirty minute timer. God, if that timer goes off during the show, we're all fucked. Uh, she's back to probably rant about women's clothing in the hunting sector, and I'm I apologize to everyone in advance. Hit that thirty second button like ten times. So the company First Light, who makes pretty decent clothing, I have um, at least one of their. I have like a hoodie or something, a merino hoodie, and it's been good. But today and today only, you could get the men's soft shell jacket and pant combo at thirty percent off. This is one of the very few articles of clothing out of their men's selection that they also make in a women's selection, or a women's cut and fit, not 30% off. So just the men's. Do you think that maybe they ran a sale based on inventory levels and current sell-through rates? Is that possible? Is it possible that a company made a business decision, not based on sexuality, but based on inventory levels? Is that possible? Oh, they've already had someone... When they were talking about one of the one of the few podcasts I do listen to, um, a gear podcast, uh, they were talking about their rain gear, and there was a question of, "Will you make this in women's stuff?" And they're like, "No." The guy literally in in business talk said, "We wouldn't make enough money if we did that." So yeah, they do make sexist decisions based on finances. So great, don't at me. But we can go on back to bike stuff now. Back to wheels, Industry 9 has a limited run of bronze hubs. You can get bronze hubs, wheels, headsets, stems, and spacers. Well, they say wheels. You can get like their whole system wheel set with the bronze hubs and spokes, like their alloy spokes. Uh, Looks pretty cool. I don't know how well it would age in the sun here in Colorado, but if you live someplace that doesn't have sun that wants to light you on fire, uh, this would probably last a long time. You can get it up until November 14th. That is a cutoff day. I don't even want to talk about this one. Close the tab. All right. 
ratio is making some more shit to do shit to your bike. And you had this one open, did you? Yeah, of course. I want to talk about the most confusing company name you ever heard. Carbon Wasp has printed 3D printed titanium cranks. So their name is Carbon, but they're making shit out of 3D printed titanium. And it's only for pinion gearboxes. So great, they're going to sell four of them. There you go. Kenny, is there any other new shit you want to talk about that we haven't we haven't covered? No, I think that's really about it. Matt, you had the Enduro 170 open Atherton bikes. And if you'll notice, that's in a group tab with that listener question. I wondered why the... It's a group tab on Google. Look at me go. I didn't know that was a thing. It's a thing. Oh, that's out of a listener question too, but I lost that listener question because I got distracted with starting recording. Is uh, so go to listener go to entry forms and and so like open a new tab with like no don't don't navigate let's do this one first so let's do this this listener question first Dominic G says hi JRA crew over the past few years you guys have always given me solid advice and I appreciate your opinions very much currently I'm riding a Sky Ransom 910 GX build with Fox Performance Elite. I bought it at the beginning of 2019. It's been it's seen a fair amount of pedaling, shuttle days, and enduro races, and I think it's time for something new. I would like to hear all your suggestions on a new enduro frame and parts. There's some must the bike should include. Wait, there's some must the bike should have, which include carbon frame, minimum of 160 rear travel, and UDH. Um, for parts, this would be my list: a Zeb Ultimate or Olin's RXF 38 fork. Uh, handlebars, chromat carbon, brakes, TRP, DH, Evo Plus. Dropper's going to be a Reverb AXS 170. X01 transmission with 165 cranks. Crank Brothers Synthesis Carbon or Zip 30 Moto Carbon Wheels. Shorter train stays would be preferred. 29er or mullet is fine. The max price point for a frame is four to $5,000 with shock. Preferably Rock Shocks or Olin's. Small bike manufacturers okay. No need to stick to mainstream brands. I'm looking for a one-bike strategy where uphill performance can be compromised a bit to get better downhill performance. As a quick reference, I'm six foot tall. I weigh 180 pounds. I do tours in the Alps. I live in Germany with 4,000 feet of climbing and also shuttle days in rough, steepy, steep, rocky terrain. All your suggestions and absolute no-nos are greatly appreciated. I'm currently looking at the Atherton All-Mountain 170 as a possible candidate. Cheers, Dominic. So, first of all, Dominic has laid out a great question with an amazing budget and done us a great favor of converting over to freedom units so we're not confused um and he linked to the atherton am 170 and uh yeah it's uh i i don't know anything about it um to be quite frank so dave uh, Wiggle, i know DW6 i know that linkage. i like i like the atherton bikes just from a like kind of design perspective but i've never ridden one i don't know i mean they're pretty bougie obviously and pretty uh pretty expensive but i mean i've heard no bad things about them yeah i mean they're designed by some of the best downhill racers in the world so i don't i think i'm with kenny i've never ridden one i've never had my hands on one but they look fucking cool i think they look really cool they're probably pretty good. It is a, a Weagle suspension. Those tend to pedal really well. So I think your, you know, long climbs for a 170 bike, this is probably going to be one of the better pedaling bikes out there if I just had to go off of my experience with that suspension design. So, I mean, I, I think it looks pretty fucking cool. 
get one and build it up and send us a photo because, yeah, they look like nice bikes. But I don't really know bikes in that category. I mean, what else is out there from bigger Yeah, companies? so specialized, it's going to be the uh, normal stump jumper, which is going to be a 150, 160 bike. And you could totally, you could totally 160, 161. Uh, fun fact, the Enduro is not UDH. Would it be safe to assume yet? Well, we're due for a new Enduro. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, no idea. There's been some speculation on a on a patent that someone stumbled across that sure looks a lot like a weirdo Enduro thing, but nobody knows. And again, I haven't seen it yet, so I don't. I just don't know the answer to that. But yes, it's due for a refresh, so no no talent. Typically, the Enduro has been a 170 rear bike, which is roughly... He's looking for like 160 to 170 bike. Is that right? I thought it said minimum 160. Okay. I think you could totally do a stump jumper. I mean, it's extremely mainstream and they're going to be reliable. It's nothing ultra fancy. You could do rowdy stuff. I think you can get cascade links for them uh, to get more progressivity. And then you could throw like a coil on there. You could do all kinds of rowdy stuff. Uh, By the way... In theory, I will be building a, not for me, but maybe me in the future, a Levo Gen 3, which is the current Gen Levo, with a Cascade Link and an EXT Estoria shock. Could be fun. Sweet. But yeah, so he kind of, wait, did we find the Atherton or did he bring up the Atherton? He brought up the Atherton. I think another bike to look at, I don't know how big score gets, but I've heard great things about the score. And I think that one thing I would throw in here is it sounds like you do still pedal the bike. So with that, I wonder if you want to avoid high pivot bikes just because they do have some some loss of pedaling efficiency with the extra idler and all that stuff. I mean, I know that they're fine, but, you know, an, another bike to consider SB160. You know, Yeti makes a fine bike that's going to come in in that price range. I don't know if it ships with RockShox shocks, but I mean... You know, it, it's going to be in the ballpark of what you're looking for. And I always found the Yeti to pedal really well for insert category, excluding the SB100. That bike was a total turd and they don't make it anymore for a reason. Yeti doesn't know how to make XC bikes. You know where to find me if you have beef with that, but you don't. Uh, fuck y'all. Uh, um, I have another question. He's already I'm, got a ransom, so they still make a ransom. Yeah, it sounds like he's... So when I read this question, I it sounds like you want something cool. And I don't think a Scott's actually cool. I had one. It was a great bike, but it, it wasn't really cool. Does that make now any the, sense? The neat, the neat thing I will say about the Scott's for sure is in that kind of longer travel category, uh, the fact they do they can pedal well, which is pretty neat. Yeah, as you can tell, we are not long travel bike aficionados other than just looking at this Atherton and saying, yeah, that looks sweet. Yeah, I mean, I've got like the longest travel bike in history, but it's got a motor attached to it. <laughs> is that your recommendation? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty neat. Uh, I mean, I think what I've learned, I don't dislike my bike. I think it's pretty cool. And I think there's a lot to learn on it and just just try to ride it and get used to what that much travel does. I don't need it. I don't ride gnarly enough, gnarly enough stuff to really warrant that. I think I'm thinking I'll probably go back to, I don't know. I don't know what I'd want today. I'm going to wait for maybe the next crop of bikes to come out and I'll probably just sit and be content for a year or two. But if I had to get another bike tomorrow, it might be something like the new updated Levo SL. I just really liked my Levo SL. That thing was 
I probably shouldn't have gotten rid of it. It was extremely dialed, but you know, I'm in the industry. I didn't want to like get too stale and be closed minded and not try other things. But at the same time, you should trust your gut. If there's a bike you really, really like, you should probably continue riding it. So I don't even know where I was going with that other than I do have a super long travel bike today, but I would probably go back to a shorter travel bike just with way more modern geo. I think the slightly longer wheelbase, longer reach stuff, lower bottom bracket, all the things we've been doing for the past five plus years, I think that's all generally speaking, going in the right direction for especially gnarlier riding. But I just don't need, you probably don't need as much travel as you think you need. I mean, this dude's doing shuttle runs. Yeah, it sounds like he knows what he needs. No, this guy definitely sounds like he knows what he needs and is a good rider. It's not like someone in Florida is like, there's this one place in the Santos Trails where there's a big drop and I want a downhill bike. No, I mean, it it sounds like he uh, is going to put all of the travel to use. Yeah, and with that said, I think that uh, don't sleep on the Yeti. I mean, Yetis always make great bikes as long as they're, you know, 130 or more travel. And I'm not trying to shit on them. I was being a dick earlier on purpose just to be funny. But in all seriousness, when it comes to Enduro, they know what they're doing. I wouldn't sleep on the Yeti. I don't know what that's going to cost over there in German doll hairs, but um, don't sleep on the Yeti. But There's got to be a pivot. There's got to be a pivot that's good too, right? Yeah, uh, we don't talk about them here. Yeah. The, I know the they came to your house and kicked your dog, but like, you know, I think back in the day, the the trail bikes that I rode of theirs were always really good, but I haven't ridden their stuff in a long time because I'm not for a good dealer. reason. Also, also real fun fact, pivot, they're so behind the times that they just got with 2016 Specialized. Their newest advertisements, they did a pink bike takeover, and someone is launching the biggest fucking booter you've ever seen on the goddamn XC bike, and it's just so fucking hilarious. Remember? I'm surprised they're not doing it on the gravel bike. No, go back in time to when we were shitting on Specialized for people doing backflips on the Fuse and getting rowdy on the Stump Jumper and looking lame on the Enduro. There's someone just absolutely fucking... I would never jump this jump. I'm a decent biker, and it would take a lot of coaxing to get me to even jump, sort of jump this jump, and this person is just fucking full send on the Mach 4 SL, and great. I'm sure that's what every 55-year-old white dude in Phoenix loves to see is being marketed to someone just getting rowdy on something that would blow up their hip even if they didn't case. (laughs) (laughs) I rest. I'm I'm done. <laughs> this is what happens when I drink half a bottle of wine before recording. All right, are we ready for the next question? If you're reading it. This is this is up Kenny's alley. This is from John. He says, "Best e mountain bike for the northeast. I consider myself a normal trail rider. I like to do dad size drops and dad jumps. My rides are usually one and a half to two hours with 750 to 1500 feet of elevation. I currently ride a 2016 Giant Trance, which is a 27.5 bike with 140-140. Thank you, John, for putting that in there so we don't have to look that up. I don't find myself feeling underbiked often. I do want to get a new bike that's more current. I have been considering buying a Pivot 429 Trail or Ibis Ripley, but over the last month or so, I've really started enjoying going to trails that have longer downhills. However, the uphills are not as fun as they used to be now that I am over 50. 
I was thinking maybe one of the SL e-mountain bikes may be in order. Are there certain ones that are better than others? Are there certain years or generations that I should stay away from if I looked at the used market? Thoughts on new versus used. I worked at bike shops back in the late 80s, early 90s, and early 2000s for about seven years. So I do have mechanic skills, but nothing related to e-bikes. Really enjoy the show. A little bit too much hunting for my taste recently, but I still listen to every episode. Thank you, John, for sticking through that inundation of hunting. Uh, so there's obviously a zillion different types of e-bikes out there. A couple high-level pieces of advice I would give you are, unfortunately, you've got to be really careful buying a used e-mountain bike because most manufacturers have a one two-year warranty on the e-bike bits so yeah be really careful we're getting to the point now where we see a lot of people come in that need stuff replaced and it gets really expensive batteries are usually around a thousand dollars motors are around a thousand dollars those are the big two so just keep that in mind this is something i don't no. Um, are there wear parts on an e-bike, like something you should just expect to replace in two to three years? Mm, no, not really. Batteries, unless something just goes wrong and you get unlucky or you completely submerge your bike or you own a pressure washer. Batteries, <laughs> for the most part, you could get unlucky and just be that 0.1% that just gets a bad battery. But for the most part, normal wear and tear Batteries are going to last a really long time. They're typically going to calendar age uh, in a worse way than you cycle aging it. So even though these things are running the most cutting edge lithium ion batteries that have a very finite life because they're the most power dense things that we have to work with today, they're rated for like at least 500 full charge cycles. So that means if you only ever use your bike about halfway, which is kind of average for people, you're going to get a thousand rides right? Like that's, that's a lot. That's like a lot, a lot. I think the most charge cycles I've ever seen personally on a battery of any bike that I've ever plugged in, that's commuter bike, mountain bike, whatever you name it. I think I've seen a 251. That's it. So I wouldn't worry too much about the battery, but motors, unfortunately, there's a lot going on inside of a motor. You got a whole bunch of bearings. You're going to have sprag clutches. Um, you're going to have the actual, um, the actual like drive, uh, the electronic drive is going to be in there as in what's uh, chopping up your DC voltage from your battery into AC. So your inverter is going to be inside of that unit. So there's just a whole bunch of shit packed in there and it's the lowest point on your bike. So, you know, washing and all that stuff. Anyway, they, they're going to be, if something's going to die on your e-bike it's generally going to be your motor. Like I said, they're about a thousand bucks. So With all that said, I don't know exactly which bike is right for you. It sounds like you want to try an SL bike, which I think is a personally great idea. Unless you're riding with a whole bunch of people that all have full power e-bikes, I think for the enthusiast level mountain biker, an SL platform is really, really good. Uh, There's a bunch of them. There is the, you know, you got the Pivot Shuttle SL. You've, of course, got the Levo SL. You've got the Trek Fuel EXE. Um... And there's a whole bunch of other ones I'm forgetting. There's a new Santa Cruz that uh, is going to be in the SL category. So you got a lot, of, a decent number of choices, but not as many choices as a full fat, uh, full power e-bike. So with all that said, I was extremely happy as I was just talking about a Wait, few minutes ago. Can, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, go for it. I mean, but does the Fuel EXE, does it kind of dance that 
dance between full fat and and by the way I want to interject that I hate that term. I hate full fat. Um but does it fall somewhere between full power and SL? Like in terms of weight and ride quality? With weight, I think it's closer to an SL, but it's definitely on the heavier side, but with power, it's almost full power, but definitely not. And then battery yeah, I mean, the average battery on a full power is going to be 700 watt hour. That one's like 400 something. And as far as watts goes, I know there's like newton meters. I can't remember what all those are off the top of my head. But as far as watts go, you're going to get, I think, in the ballpark of like 350, 350 watts out of that one. Whereas a, a full is going to be about 7 to 750. Tough call. That e, that uh, TQ motor is really, really quiet. If you want super stealthy, that thing is quiet quiet which is a pretty cool thing but going back to what i was saying before i was extremely happy with my levo sl it's not the perfect bike but just it just rode really nicely you can build them crazy light it definitely has one of the smallest batteries out there and the motor does not make a whole lot of power but it's definitely not bad like i had a ton of fun on mine i probably put 2000 miles on mine and we see a decent number of com- of them come in and i think we've replaced one motor and, and like maybe one battery i think up in the northeast you have lots of like rocky technical stuff so it sounds like an sl would probably handle more like the normal bike that he's used to yeah i think if you were trying to do things like tackle 5000 foot climb days or more that's where the full power e-bike just with the more range and everything is going to be i think a way better choice especially if your climbs are more fire roady i think that the full power one's a better move but i've been really happy with my sl stuff and my kinevo that i have today is also an sl one it's the exact same battery and motor underneath except it's just longer travel and heavier essentially the only complaint i have about the Levo SL really is it's a little noisy. It's a little, and it's kind of like a higher pitched whiny noise. It's just a loud motor, unfortunately, but works great. Like the software and programming is really good. It feels very natural. Yeah. Great bike, but it's up to you on what your tolerance is for a warranty. Just keep it in mind. Don't be super bummed or super surprised when a two-year-old e-bike with a thousand plus miles on it pukes up a motor. All right. Also, one more thing, you if you're looking for a last generation, well, if you're looking for a deal, there are a ton of Levo SL first gens kicking around. You will be able to find those all over the place, probably including uh, my shop. I can't ship stuff, but just to let you know, um, if I have them, other people probably have them as well. Cool. All right. So this one should be quick uh, from Jay says, Question, what are your thoughts on belt drive bikes for commuting? I hate doing maintenance on the bike I commute on, four miles in, 12 miles back by the way I normally go, and have been considered considering a, minute, a belt. Wait a minute, four miles to work and 12 miles back from work? What the Probably fuck are you take, doing? Take the long way home. <laughs> just really weird. I read that is, oh, mm, no, reading that again, I'm a little confused, but I kind of read it as like a four-mile drive or a 12-mile bike ride. Maybe I'm not reading, but that's how I looked at it. I think it's, Hmm. you take the short way first thing in the morning to get to work, and then you kind of take the long way home to unwind a little bit. But I've been considering a belt drive bike with some, some sort of internal hub. Priority Bikes has a sale going on, and their drop bar belt drive bike is very tempting. 
he sends us a link. says, this would be a summer-only bike. In the winter, I commute via trails on snow, and the maintenance required drops off a lot. It is cold, so it is dry, clean snow, at least besides the dog poop from all the dog mushers. Ha! Thanks for the podcast. So, I guess I'll go real quick. I don't have as much belt experience as Andrea probably does, but from just what I see and working on bikes, I think that's exactly what belt drives are for. I think the commuter segment is 100% what they're built for. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I'd say for for just regular mountain biking, uh, it's probably not your best choice. Um, but yeah, for commuting, it's, yeah, I think I think it's great. You know, if you don't want to do maintenance, I, I think that's a, looks like a solid bike. You know, I haven't read into it, but it's just a plain, I uh, think that's aluminum, maybe? It is mechanical disc brakes, which can be kind of a pain in the ass. Mm, I'm not sold on For what it's worth, my uh, nephew has a little priority bike. Like, I don't remember what size wheel. It's probably uh, a 16 or a 20. Probably a 16. And I think it's got a three-speed internally geared hub and it's belt drive. And it's been pretty cool, pretty reliable. Yeah. I mean, this comes with tubeless ready wheels. Uh, I I think it's probably pretty nice. comes with 440 drop bars. Uh, depending on how big you are, 440 might feel a little... Unwieldy. Yeah, that might be a little wide, but, you know, it it's a kind of personal preference there. So, yeah, I mean, the only thing I see on this bike that I don't love are just mechanical disc brakes. I think those are... Yeah. So, you know, the parts are a little cheesy, but your commute's relatively short. So it's not like you're going to be putting, you know, putting in 200 miles a week on this thing or anything. So, you know, it, it should, it should be all right. And I think this was the, yeah, we'll wrap it up with this. Another, so there's been like the manual trainer. People build those things and they sell them, you know, where you can practice doing manuals in your garage. There's now a bunny hop trainer called the garage bunny and the picture on this looks like they photoshopped someone doing an actual bunny hop into this device that you would set up in your garage i'm pretty sure they did and it's got a little thing on the side where you can see how high you jump Uh, i i only have one thing to say i know how to bunny hop and i don't know if i could bunny hop with my bike attached to this thing kenny have you seen this contraption (laughs) Oh, no, I have not. Here we go. What's it called? The Garage Bunny, made by Ninja. Careful Googling Garage Bunny. You <laughs> you should turn hmm. Safe Search on. All right. Lets, World's it first. Lets you, it lets you practice manuals, too, it looks like. Oh, my God. That timer went off while we're still recording. Andrea's got to go slap her dough or whatever she's going to do. So I guess is the deal that it's like slightly bungeed where it preloads and helps you get off the ground so that you can then do that little scoop maneuver? Is that the idea? I, or is I it to keep you or is it I keep don't. or is it to keep you from falling over sideways? Like I would even almost understand a wheelie thing that maybe kept the side to side balance, because for longer wheelies when you're new, it's the side to side balance that actually becomes a problem once you hit the balance point, right? But with a bunny who the fuck falls over sideways on a bunny hop? I Kenny Kenny, I I think this is just a way to what's that saying? Uh, a fool and their money are easily separated, right? Like yeah, I just I think I, I think if you hired for one day, I think if you just hired a professional to hang out with you, and you provided both the professional and yourself with some cocaine, perhaps 
I think you would meet. I think you would meet that six hundred dollar price point. I really, yeah, I think. I mean, I just came back to the conversation, and while that is funny, I think that Kenny is what you were trying to say that for six hundred dollars you could pay someone who's really good to teach you this. Did you miss the part where he said and cocaine? Well, yeah, and some yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think for six hundred dollars you could both hire someone for maybe a half day and also provide said person and yourself with some cocaine for 600 bucks. Everyone would probably have a really fucking good time and you'd learn how to bunny hop. (laughs) All right. I think we should wrap it up with that. Kenny, you got anything else to say? (laughs) No, that's it. All right. Well, keep an eye out. Uh, This week after this show post, you will see our Just Riding Along charity sticker that we will be releasing. It will be on our website, our Instagram, all that stuff. So just keep a, keep an eye out. We should be getting those in hand uh, tomorrow, which is Friday. And I'll have them on the website next week. Oh, I have, I have a real request. All right. This week, I lost my favorite pocket knife. And it wasn't very nice. But let's say not a triple-digit number. I would love for people to tell me what is the best everyday pocket knife I should carry. And you'll notice I didn't call it what people will call it there because I also hate that term. Full fat and everyday carry. Both of those make my eye twitch. What would be your go-to pocket knife for carrying just for normal use? Cutting boxes, cutting rope, uh, occasionally sharing cocaine with your mountain bike coach, whatever it may be. (laughs) I want to know what your go-to knife would be there because I don't know anything about knives. And quite honestly, I don't want to know. I just want to be told what is a good value without being ripped off by paying the, the essentially, let's call it tactical tax and have something that's good for normal use. So fun fact, I bought a Benchmade trying to look up what model it is it's probably a three-digit number though uh now nah, benchmates have like names they have like you know griptilian or no something i mean like, like the, the cost is probably three digits oh no when i bought this now it's worth this is actually what's hilarious to me by the way i was just going through my house finding just random old crap just cleaning up i found a set of old oakley's they're like disgusting 90s like tiny lens oakley's <laughs> And I sold those things on eBay for $100. And they were like not even in good shape. And they were disgusting. Like I don't even know just a heart that nasty like, you know, what people in the Matrix movie was wearing like the first one. (laughs) Like they're just nasty, not good looking glasses. Anyway, this freaking knife I have, this Benchmade, I think I paid 60 bucks for it. It was a decent knife and still have it to this day. I haven't lost it, still use it. It's on my pants most every single day. So I've had it for 25 years. And uh, yeah, I looked up what they're worth and I looked at ones that were trashed, like in really bad shape. And mine is in surprisingly good shape. And they go for like over $100. They're more expensive than they were when I bought it. That that doesn't make any sense to me. What's going on with the world? (laughs) I don't know, but we should shut it down. Someone tell Matt what knife he should get. Thank you all for listening and good night. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along Show. There's some shit coming out of your pants. <laughs>